Hello everyone, welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name's Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And today, I wanted to talk to you about Harry Potter. But we're not going to be talking about it from the perspective of the lore, or the movies, or the books. Though, I have a feeling they will be referenced a lot. I wanted to discuss them and kind of continue our discussion from yesterday about fandom and how fandom works and functions properly <clears throat> by talking about why I feel like so many adults like myself are fascinated by these books, by these movies, and by the world that J.K. Rowling has created. And I, I want to say right off the bat I am not claiming that this is exclusively why. Of course, the magic is amazing. The fights with Voldemort are really nifty, and the mysteries were fun to try to solve while reading the books. And they have dragons in them, so that gives them a high chance that I'm going to like them. So, you know, just keeping it 100. But... I think one of the main reasons why adults, and even adults who first read Harry Potter as children, continue to go back to the Harry Potter series, is how well J.K. Rowling captures the nostalgic experience of childhood. Now, what do I mean by that? When you think back to your youth... One of the things that becomes very obvious, I know at least it does for me, when I was younger, everything seemed magical, everything seemed wondrous, everything seemed special. And one of the main reasons for that was everything was new. You were encountering everything for the first time. And so the experience gave everything this magical aura of freshness, of newness, of wonder that can easily erode in adulthood as the negative forces of this world try to turn us all into cynics. And I really do mean that. But when you read a Harry Potter book or you watch a movie, one of the things that becomes glaringly obvious is how J.K. Rowling, in constructing the narrative, takes those magical experiences of childhood and translates them into Harry's experience learning magic. And you can see this pronounced in the movie. And if you watch Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, the very first film by Chris Columbus, You'll notice that every child is approaching the castle with amazement. And I've tried to check, but I 
I can't identify all of the first years by name in the uh, walk through Hogwarts at the beginning. But they are all just astounded that the paintings are moving, that the stairways are moving, that the ghosts are roving around. And they're all just so wide-eyed and filled with joy. And I point that out specifically because unless they're muggle-born, and I don't know if it's possible that they were very careful and the only characters that you actually see making those statements were all muggle-born, but I don't believe that that's the case. They would have been used to pictures moving. I mean, we look at, you know, Sirius Black's home, and there were living paintings throughout the house. There are two very important ones, the portrait of his mother and the portrait in, well, the room that Harry and Ron sleep in. So they shouldn't have been surprised by that. But because of the nature of the books and the way she equated this childlike wonder with magic, we see in the films this joy in everything. Everything is wondrous. Everything is new. Everything is exciting. And for those of us who have gotten to a place where the world seems rather ordinary and where the world doesn't offer as much newness as it did. I mean, I think that's also why a lot of us got into tech for such a long time is it seemed like every year there was a new magical device coming out for a really long stretch of time there. You know, once we had the advent of the internet and then you had the iPod and then you had the iPhone and then you had various tablets and touchscreens. And I remember when I got my first Jornada a long time ago and seeing how having a touchscreen device that I could type and put all of my thoughts into would change everything. And actually, no, I started with a Palm Pilot. Yeah, I go all the way back to the Palm Pilot days. But these are things that made magic for us as adults because they were new. They were experiences we couldn't have before. The idea of being able to hold a computer in your hand was so fresh and so amazing that it was astounding. I still get astounded, to be honest, when I pick up my phone because it's so thin and the screen is so large and the image quality is so good and it does so many different things. It still kind of astounds me because I lived a large portion of my life before that technology existed. And so it still seems magical to me. Even though I grew up with computers, I grew up learning how to code. I started learning how to code when I was like nine. But being able to hold a computer in my hand and do all the things that I can do now, it's a magical experience. And that's what we get when we read Harry Potter or when we watch the movies. And that's the experience, I think, that drives a lot of us unconsciously back to stories like that. And I think that's also why a lot of the, uh, I don't want to say offshoots or inspired by stories, but the explosion in YA fiction that happened after Harry Potter's success, I think that's something that a lot of those stories missed. They just thought, oh, it's about a kid and 
a whole bunch of different trials and struggles. And, and the success of various book and movie franchises, I think, shows, especially like The Hunger Games and whatnot, shows that there was something to that. But the reason The Hunger Games hasn't spawned the same fandom that Harry Potter has is that it doesn't give us that same taste of ma magic, that same charm of wonder when we read those books or watch those movies, especially The Hunger Games. The Hunger Games is just dark and bleak through the whole thing. It's like a Zack Snyder project. But why is that something that's important? It's important because that, I don't, we often confuse that sense of wonder with naivete or with ignorance. And that's one of the reasons why the dark forces of the universe try to turn us all into cynics. But that kind of wonder inspires us. That kind of wonder breeds within us the imaginative capacity to see what might be beyond any rational extent of what is. And that creative capacity is necessary for us to move beyond our current state. If we are going to progress, if we are going to move forward, we have to have the ability to imagine something so far beyond what we currently have. I mean, I don't want to get into an argument about the iPhone and how much of those various technologies existed prior to Apple putting them together, but Apple had the first, the one thing I think everybody can agree on, Apple had the first commercially successful touchscreen device. That vision that they were able to share with that caused so much excitement because we could see something that prior to that moment existed only in science fiction. You have to go to Star Trek to see anything like the iPhone, and that wasn't even like it. They had to carry multiples around. I'm assuming because of the memory capacity of the pads. I'm assuming that's the in-world explanation. I know that in several of the FASA supplements, when it talked about pads, it talked about how much onboard storage they had, and it wasn't a lot because, well, storage chips were quite large when those shows were created. But it opened up a world to us of new possibilities and new things that we could do. And as with all things, and I keep trying to bring that up because I want you to think back to when those devices first came about, if you're old enough to remember when they first came about. That wonder that that brought into the world. Technology like that and various other changes don't happen unless you can see and believe in the possibility that would normally be beyond hope. Women's suffrage, for example, the, the idea that women should have the right to vote. When you think about what an impossible task that is, people who don't have the right to vote are going to find a way to get the right to vote. 
How do you get the right to vote when you can't vote for the people who determine whether or not you have the right to vote? I mean, when you really think about what that task sounds like, what that task looks like, it is an impossible attack. It is a poss- an impossible task. How do you do that? First, you have to be able to see beyond the state of things as they are. You have to imagine a world so radically different from the one that you live in that the possibility exists. And once you can imagine that possibility, you start asking yourself questions like, well, how do we make that a reality? How do we make that real? What does that look like? What are the steps we need to take to get from here to there? And you cannot do that from a cynical point of view. Because one of the things that cynicism gives rise to within, our, within us is an, a blind acquiescence to the state of affairs, whatever they are. The current state of affairs are the way things are and the way things ever shall be. Because that's the basic nature of cynicism. Things can't get better. So finding something like Harry Potter that gives you that sense of wonder, I think that's also, you know, if you go back to my episode I did on Santa Claus, why so many adults play in the imagery of Christmas, especially as profoundly as they do. Santa gives us something to look forward to, something to imagine, something to aspire towards. I spoke in that episode about performative mythology, and I think that you can see within Harry Potter fandom this sort of performative mythology that a lot of fans, like with Star Trek fans, didn't just dream of a better world or imagine a better world or accept a story that told them about a world more magical than the one that we lived in, people organized and began raising money for charities and began actually taking action to make things better. But you can only take those actions if somehow, deep within you, you're able to accept the possibility that that change can happen. It's easy to say change should happen, but to envision a world where it can happen and the steps that you have to take to get there, that requires seeing the world with fresh eyes. And we'll talk about this more after the break. And we're back. And this, I think, is the great gift that Harry Potter has given us. And not just Harry Potter. I think there are a lot of stories that do this for us. I think for me, it's one of the reasons why I go back to A Christmas Carol over and over again, because it's a story about change and how even the most hardened of heart can change. And they change by seeing themselves and others and by seeing their past in a different light, which is actually how change occurs. So, What has Harry Potter done for us? These books, and this is, I think, why people are so... (sighs) Clingy isn't really the word, but 
I think this is why you're seeing a hostility to more stories being made. It's, and I don't want to get into the quality of the Fantastic Beast movies. Those, that's neither here nor there. I think she could have made the best possible. She could have made written something even better than the Harry Potter series, and I think that same intransigence would have shown itself simply because that gift of childlike wonder, that gift of a world that we could go into where everything is magical and everything is wondrous, and now that the Dark Lord is defeated, every, everything is possible. Anything is possible. That gift feels threatened when more stories are added to the pile. When you add something to that world, you fear that something wondrous might be taken away from you. This is, I think, a fear that you see in a lot of Star Wars fans well, I didn't need to know how they got the Death Star plans. Well, I didn't need to know that either, but Rogue One was such a good movie. I, I didn't need to know how Han Solo got his name either, but that's probably the first movie that kind of made me like Han Solo a little bit, because he's a character I didn't like. And I point both of those out, because whether or not J.K. Rowling creates anything that you love as much or more than the original Harry Potter books is moot. The very act of continuing to create in that world makes you feel threatened. And whether you feel that threat or not, it's there. It's why virtually every fandom from Star Wars to Star Trek to Voltron to Transformers to, yes, even us beleaguered fans of the Alien franchise. Every time a new project is announced, there's excitement and fear. And there's one exception to that. There's one major exception to that, and that is the Marvel Cinematic Universe. So what makes the Marvel movies different than the Harry Potter wizarding world. They always promise something. No movie ends by going, and that's it. They end, Iron Man will return. Or, most recently, Thanos will return. And not only do we get those statements... But we get those post-credits and mid-credit scenes that show us, yes, that story is done, but here's another story off in the distance, another story that will eventually happen. And so nothing within the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels final. Nothing in the Marvel Cinematic Universe feels concluded. Justice League didn't need to happen because nothing in... Batman v Superman made us feel like, well, they, they're, they're going to have to bring Superman back. There weren't other villains running around that made us worry. There was nothing in Man of Steel that made us think that Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice should have happened. 
because, well, he defeated Zod. And there were no other villains like Zod because that was the first time he really felt that he had to intervene. I mean, yeah, we can talk about the oil rig and stuff that he worked on, but the world felt simple and contained. And so there's no excitement. There's no thrill. There's no desire to go forward. The Harry Potter books all end. Harry goes home with very few exceptions and not really until the Goblet of Fire do we have an anticipation of, oh, it's definitely coming back. Because the ending to that book is the first book that doesn't feel concluded. But the last chapter of, of Harry Potter and the Deathly Hollows not only shows us Voldemort's defeat, but it shows us what happens to our heroes when they grow up. And yes, it hints at more to come because we see them sending their children to school for the first time. But it doesn't feel as much like a new beginning as it does like an ending. Because we weren't following students at Hogwarts, we were following these students at Hogwarts. So the idea that students are still going to be going to the school, well, of course they're going to be going to the school, but the story's over. Voldemort's defeated. And so there's a finality there. And anything that threatens that finality threatens the wonder that infused the entire series. Whereas Marvel can continue to crank out movies because they never tell us, oh, well, we're done now. Well, that was it. That was all of it. Nope. With each and every story, we're promised this hint, this glimpse at what's to come. And so we get excited about the next thing. Because that wonder is baked into everything that Marvel does. Which is why the end of Infinity War was felt so powerfully. We're so used to going and our heroes winning that when our heroes don't win, it's a shock to the system. It's a titanic shock to the system. Because that's not how the story's supposed to end. The story's supposed to end with the Avengers will return. Or whatever the next movie is, Miss Marvel will return. Not Thanos will return. Thanos is the villain. Villains only exist for one film. It's a shock to the system. In all of these things, we can find that sense of wonder. In fact, this is one of the reasons why um, Doc Strange is one of my favorite Marvel movies, because it's a story about a man made cynical by life, having to rediscover wonder and the more magical nature of reality. And in many ways, that's also true of the Ant-Man series. Those are movies much more for adults I'm not saying the kids won't like them, but they're really speaking to adults who have lost that sense of childlike joy, where they can just turn their mind off and enjoy the strangeness of these stories. And that's what I found when I watched Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. And because I haven't gone to the Pain Palace, I have not seen The Crimes of Grindelwald, so I cannot speak to that movie. 
And it's not because I didn't want to go, it's I didn't feel like sitting for two and a half hours in pain. Sorry. <laughs> I, I have my limits. Especially because my legs were really bothering me while I was in the theater around here. And so here we are. We can see now why I think there is an issue in Harry Potter fandom. Why we are so connected to these stories because of the magic that they provide us throughout our lives and why we are so concerned when anything happens that might threaten to demystify them or take them away. That mystery, that magic, is the one thing that we expect from Harry Potter. It's why a lot of the people that I talk to are so um, divided about the Deathly Hallows films. Because they really don't have that same sense of wonder that the rest of the series has. And that even, I think, the book has. Even with all the grim circumstances that, filmed that, that fill that book. Harry Potter is an antidote to the cynicism of the world that tries to hold us down and tell us that everything is as it will always be and there's nothing you can do to change it. We pick up those books again and we see the wonder in young Harry's eyes and we, through him, get to experience that wonder again, that wonder that we had when we were children and that we miss as adults. And that's the power of fiction. That's the power of these stories to make our lives better and why fandom is such a powerful thing. It's why I am motivated to do these shows and to talk about all of this and why I listen to the books again and again and again. Well, that and I really like how Jim Dale performs them and I really want a copy of the British ones. Please make that available in the United States. Not that I don't like the Jim Dale versions. I, I just really want to hear the Stephen Fry versions without having to pirate them because that makes me feel icky. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to go there. So I hope that gave you some kind of an insight. It's something that, you know, I've been thinking about a lot. I'm, I've been editing my book, Crucify My Love, which in so many ways is a long-form meditation on love and compassion and how that can bring about a certain type of pain and suffering that is beneficial and not necessarily a bad thing. And it's made me think a lot more about what the qualities of the fiction that I love are and why I love them. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, and the app that you listen to me on allows you to rate an episode or the series in total, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithm to share me to more people. If you've got a dollar you can throw my way, either depending on the app, there'll be a button that says support, or in the show notes, you'll see a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, or $10 a month levels. 
that really does help me out a lot. It helps me to keep these podcasts coming and helps me with my fiction. And thanks to you all, I was able to get a copy of Vellum and a copy of Worldographer. So thank you. That's going to make everything a lot better for me and you. Because the new books are going to look so good. If you uh, previously bought a copy of Labyrinth of Souls, re-download it. Because I re-uploaded a new version that I made with Vellum and it's beautiful. If you don't have a dollar you can throw my way that's fine. That's perfectly fine. Just tell somebody about this podcast that you think will enjoy it. That helps out immensely too. If you want to contact me, you can do that via Twitter. I'm CE Dorset on Twitter, or you can go and download a copy of the anchor app at anchor.fm. Follow me project shadow, and you'll see a little button. This is voice message. You can leave me a message up to one minute long. It can be a question, a comment, or a topic you'd like me to discuss on the show. And I'd be greatly, I'd love doing those. If you want to see everything else that I do, just head over to projectshadow.com and you can find links to everything over there. I really enjoyed doing these episodes and I hope that you like them too. It's been exciting over the last year to watch this podcast grow, and I feel like I should be doing hello episodes to new people periodically, just because so many new people are coming on. But, um, so hi, thank you for listening. Thank you for getting this far into the podcast. And don't forget, in everything, have the fun. Bye.